Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for doing the service. My name is Sarah. I'm a very grateful compulsive overeater, and I do say that with with all my heart. I came into, um, and I just want to say a little prayer. You know, God, please help me to allow my words, uh, my thoughts, my feelings, and my values and my beliefs to come through uh, with your message, not mine, and that um, I may help somebody and stay in a humble state. Amen. So uh, I came into OA in 1995. I... Um, uh, I was adopted. I'm from uh, New York. You could probably tell by my accent a little bit, especially when I start talking to New Yorkers. I start talking much more like a New Yorker. But um, I have lived in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where I came into recovery. I was um, adopted when I was nine months old. I was in a foundling home until then, so I was not given the nurturing that most children need, and I, I definitely believe that I needed. Um so, you know, I was a chubby little baby, and I have to say that, you know, I'm sure that the bottle was propped. I was very delayed as far as, you know, sitting up and doing the things that a nine-month-old child should do, and I'm sure food was really comfort. That's how it started for me. And that need and that big hole that's inside of many of us that we talk about started with wanting maternal love, touch, and caring. Um, my parents uh, adopted me. Um, my father was a doctor in New York on Long Island, and my mother had been a teacher. So I think they really wanted a child. They were really excited, but they had their own stuff. And um, For me, uh, I I just never felt enough. I never felt pretty enough. I never felt smart enough. I never felt good enough. I always um, compared, you know, to compare is to despair. I always came from that place. Um, And although I used food early on, my food addiction really, really got exaggerated and emphasized when I was going through puberty. Uh, can you show some of my pictures now, Vincent, so I can sh- – uh, and just start with the first uh, group of them. I, the reason I have so many – I was a really cute little girl, wasn't I? And if you notice my mother and me in that picture, interestingly enough, I had food, cake in my mouth. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And you can see I had a lot of attitude here. You know, even as a little girl with that little bathing suit on, you know, I didn't look very happy. And, Vincent, if you can move down. Well, let me go to the bottom of that. Well, okay. The bottom of that with the, in the brown shirt, you know, I at teenage years, I started really feeling very disengaged from people, alone. And my parents sent me to boarding school, and then I really felt rejected. Um, I, I was always a rebel. Go ahead to the next slide, Vincent, and thank you so much for doing all this. Um, that's my dad and me with my little boy, and I became a nurse. Uh, for me, 
my addiction and my issues have really come through codependency that, you know, it was always like, you know, you know, like they say, you know, to know a real codependent when they're dying, someone else's life flashes before their eyes. You know, the whole idea of, you know, wanting to be loved, wanting to be wanted. You can see when I was with my dad, I was at a very thin place and that was, um, it had to have been about 1983, 84, and I um, I had done a pay-for program. Vincent, go ahead to the next one. I, the reason I wanted you to see all of me, and this is my heaviest on the bottom, I was 278 pounds, but you can see, you know, the striped shirt, and then I, when I was with my husband, you know, I was quite heavy. And then I hike a lot with my husband, so that's and that's me now, maybe a few pounds, a few pounds heavier than I am now. But uh, there's a gamut of weight uh, release. I've, I've I've been a yo-yo all my life. Um, I came in um, to program. I was about 222 pounds, and I got thin, and I was a star. Seriously, a star. Everybody loved me. I was speaking. I had lots of sponsees. You know, it goes to your head. I mean, you have to really be careful. For me, it's really about humility. Okay, Vincent, you could t- – oh, by the way, I want to say one thing about that last picture, the heavy set one. I always like to say this because I want people to hear it that are in the process. That lady that's 278 pounds, and I'm sure I was even heavier further on, uh, because we don't like to have pictures taken of us, but I love her. I love that lady. I love me at my heaviest. And I remember a sponsor saying to me, you know, you got to love yourself through your weight loss. You know, you can't say when I get there, I'll be okay because we take ourselves with us, you know. So Vincent, you can, you can take me off there unless people, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, but I just the thing I really want to share is that the commitment to ourselves and to really want to live a different way. My life was unmanageable because I always blamed everybody for everything that happened to me. I was never happy with what I had. I always wanted more. I always thought people were doing things to me. I never felt like people liked me, but I never made the effort to try to connect with people because I didn't trust them. So for me, a lot of my uh, my eating disorder came because it was the way to numb out. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to face my problems. You know, I remember even as a nurse, and I graduated nursing school in 1986, and, um, you know, I would know everything about people that I work with, but nobody knew anything about me. It was like I lived a compartmentalized life. And I have to say that out loud because, you know, part of our recovery is about being true to ourselves. How can we be true to ourselves if we're not vulnerable and we don't expose our authentic self? I didn't even know who I was. How could I? My whole thing was, I'm going to test you. This is what I did with my parents. And by the way, I hitchhiked cross country by myself when I was 16. I did all kinds of crazy things. I was promiscuous. I've had a bit of a life. I made it from New York 
to California, uh, Haight-Ashbury district in three days via my thumb. Uh, had many, many experiences, but what I can say today is all those things made me into who I am today. I have no regrets. I've hurt people. I do regret that. I feel sad about that. But I have done all I can to make amends with the people that I have hurt, and I continue to live a different way. I have a little plaque that says, forgiving is letting go of the hope for a better past. I want to say that again because I hope that somebody will hear it that needs to hear it. Forgiving is letting go of the hope for a better past. When my little girl was little, I was out there looking for men, and I would leave her alone in my apartment all by herself at two years old. She's 43. These are the things that I would do. So I didn't have much integrity, but I was such a wounded woman, such a wounded person. And when I came into the rooms in 1995 and the first, and I came in through a therapist and thank God for her. And I remember when they were reading our invitation to you. And I heard, you know, you're not alone anymore. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. And I want to say that to anybody here that's new. This becomes family if we choose to let it be. You know, we have to commit to this way of life. It's the whole thing. It's not just the food. I have to say I have been through um, relapse in my recovery. I'm grateful for that, too. As I said, I came in at 222. I didn't get to 278 in recovery, and, you know, I got down to like 150. I'm five foot seven. Uh, you know, I didn't get there by not having a relapse. But those, that relapse taught me what I needed to learn about humility, about being willing to stay the course, about being willing to understand that there is no perfect in this program. There is no perfect anywhere. Nobody's perfect. I am certainly not perfect, but I strive to be the best person I can be. Who would my higher power have me be? Whatever that higher power is, I don't have to have a distinction of what it is. It is what it is for the moment, and it constantly morphs for me. So, you know, the steps. I'm powerless over food, and I like to say people, places, and things because I'm powerless over just about everything. But I am not powerless over my behaviors, my actions, and my attitudes. I have a lot of power with that. You have five minutes, Sarah. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Um, I want to say a few things that I really feel are important about program. Uh, What I was willing to do when I when I finally and and I have a year of abstinence. I don't have 20 years, but I have 25 years that I've been around the program or in the program. Uh, in, in about 2011, I came into, uh, uh, phone meetings that were big book meetings, and that helped me enormously. I had gone through the big book, but I had never really learned how to use a 10th step, and I have to really put in a, a big plug for that. A 10th step is enormous, because we as compulsive overeaters get restless, irritable, and discontent. I don't care if you have 50 years of recovery. We all get that way at times. People don't do what we want. Institutions aren't what they want. The politics isn't what we want, and we get irritable or whatever. 
So I have to be very aware and do a uh, spot check inventory or an inventory. And I have to learn to have a voice to say to somebody, no, I'm not comfortable with that. No, thank you. But thank you very much. No, I can't do that service. It is okay to say no. I'm here to tell you it is okay to say no. I would rather say yes, especially when it's a service that will be helpful. But I also know that we can overdo service. That's been my experience. So I just want to say life can be unmanageable today, but today we have the steps, we have the traditions, we have the slogans, we have people, a fellowship, but the fellowship cannot be the whole program for me. I have to have all of it. You know, I almost want to bust into song like Frank Sinatra, you know, like like really my life is so big today. I love to get out and hike. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. You know, put me on a big trail. At 60, I'm going to be 64 next month. I feel better than I have ever felt in my life. I'm a breast cancer survivor. And this is all due to the program. Because I realize I owe my life to this program. I sponsor. I am sponsored. I believe in the program. It has helped me live a really full life. So I think I'm just about out of time. I can't wait to hear the questions. I'm a little nervous, but I'm totally okay with it. I'm looking forward to answering because I know I have to step beyond my my comfort zone today. That's where I grow the most. So with that, I will pass. Thank you so much. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. The secretary will call on you, and you can then unmute and ask your question. All right. Excellent. Uh, Nancy D. Good morning, world. My name is Nancy Beecham. I'm a compulsive overeater, abstaining 44 years. 150-pound weight loss, what do you do every day? Can you separate the tools like going to meetings and calling your sponsor from what you do every morning to really work the program? Do you say certain prayers? Do you meditate? Do you get some quiet time? You know, tell us about the things that you do. Do you read from the big book? And so would you just elaborate about some of the things during the day you do to get a program as opposed to using the tools and eating the right foods? Yes, thank you. Beautiful question, Nancy. Very well thought. Um, Well, um, I always try to start my day with my eyes closed, asking my higher power to help me walk through the day, be the best person that I can be. I like to meditate in the morning, usually for between 15 to 45 minutes. I do work full time. Um, I also um, almost always talk to at least three people a day. Sometimes it's people that I haven't spoken to for a very long time. Sometimes it's people that I, you know, sponsor. I do sponsor about five or six women, which is plenty for me. I I realize that some people say one or two is is okay. You know, m- one of the things I just have to say is we all work at different. And I don't think that I am in a position where I could say, you have to do this, you have to do that. 
I share my own experience. Um, there are people on this meeting right now that I sponsor. Um, I, I really believe that it's about love, that so much of the program is about love. Um, I write I write a meditation every day. Uh, a lot of these women that are on here know I've been sending it for about six years. I, I basically take 11 books, meditation books, and then I pick out two or three. I write it all out and <laughs> I share on it. And um, that's my writing for the day. And what it has done for me is it has put me into all mindsets to look at all parts of my life, my codependency, my addiction. Um, there's some wonderful meditation books. Uh, and, of course, I love all of our literature, but there are others, too, that I use. Um, I try to keep very spiritually active. I am not a religious person, but um, I I have to say this, Nancy. One of the things I think is the most important, and I didn't use this word, but the word integrity. And integrity for me today means I try to live my life like if I would be in a glass house. I wouldn't care if anybody heard anything that I say or what I do because what I do is what I, you know, my value system is the same. I'm not living incongruent. I'm living with my value system intact, and I'm trying to live the best I can imperfectly once again. Um, I do um, listen to a meeting usually almost every day of some kind. Um, I... Um, when I feel like I'm in a, a nice exercise, I want to put a plug in for exercise because it's huge to help us with our emotions, especially with this pandemic going on. It's just so helpful for my mindset. Um, I try to, and, and I even have somebody on here today that's from work that is not called herself a compulsive reader that I just told her that I was speaking and she said what are you speaking on and she said I want to come so we don't know who we're going to affect so for me it's like the big book talks about and yes I definitely believe in using that big book it's 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 got the the bones of the program it's really what it's about so um and I read the big book with people I sponsor you know, I keep very active in that. Um, as far as my food plan, you've asked me a question that will probably take me a long time to answer. Gosh. Um, but, um, and I try to laugh, Nancy. Laughter is so healing and helpful. It's so good. I heard some laughter when I first came on this meeting. Uh, and I never would smile or laugh. My father used to say to me, Sarah, get a, get a smile on your face. You always look so miserable. I do smile and laugh so much more. You know, I feel so comfortable in my own skin. Wow, how did that happen? It's miraculous. Our program is miraculous. Uh, food plan, I just want to speak about that because that was one of my issues. Uh, the reason my relapse happened was, uh, one, was I wasn't living in integrity, but two, I kept thinking that all these healthy foods I should be able to eat. I've taken nutrition classes. I understand what, what they are. But I kept eating these things that were hand-to-mouth. I'm not even going to say the word. I think you can imagine what it was. And other things that were high in fat. You know, everybody says it's sugar. Well, you know, yes, for me, that too. But 
I had huge issues with some of these things that I just was not willing to let go of. I thought I should be able to do this. And friends of mine that were in recovery that had great abstinence were telling me they were doing it. I thought, why can't I do it? This isn't fair. But I can't. And guess what? I don't look at my abstinence as, oh, my God, I have to be absent. I have the most wonderful food. When I go to work, I bring my food every every day. And all these people want my food. They want my food. They're like telling me they would pay me to make the food that I make for myself for them. So it takes meal prep. I take about, you can ask my husband, about four hours a weekend to prep my meals so I have all my stuff in the freezer ready to go. Listen, God's not going to come down and stick my food in my refrigerator to make me abstinent. i got to take responsibility for it. So I just want to say, I am responsible for my happiness. I am responsible for my food. I am responsible for my attitude. I am responsible for getting myself to a meeting. I'm responsible for me. I can ask people to help me along the way, but this is part of growing up. And I remember I had a sponsor that said to me, put on your big girl panties and grow up. And you know what? That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm one day at a time. So that's what I have to say. I hope I hit it all, Nancy. I'm not sure, but I think I got most of it. And I'll pass. Anybody else? All right. So uh, we have a question that's been asked anonymously in the private chat. I'm going to read it out to you. Uh, Lately in meditation, I am realizing how much I hate myself for my sexuality because of how I was brought up. I was wondering if you can relate to this shame. And if so, how are you rewriting the tapes to accept exactly who you are? Beautiful question. Well, um, affirmations are huge for me. Um, I, I listen to them a lot. It is a huge part of my program. I am enough. I do enough. I have enough. I look at myself in the mirror like I'm looking at me right now. Now, I'm not the prettiest girl in the room, but I'm a pretty girl. I like who I am. I want to be me. And I have to keep telling myself that. And the thing that comes up for me is to compare us to despair. What my parents' old tapes were worth, and, and this is, you know, this is in no way a judgment of, you know, they believed they were, they were traditional religious people. But my father was an agnostic. But my parents really believed that I should follow their path in religion. I'm not going to say what religion because I don't feel it's appropriate. But I don't. And I, it's not me. And I, I have parts of that that I believe are true. But I have to find my own value system. Who would my higher power have me be? Not who would my parents have me be? Um, so for me, it's coming to a place where I say, I'm okay whether you think I'm okay or not. Like, I'm sure there's people on here that are going, shut her up. You know, I, you know or, or have some negative judgment, maybe, or whatever. It's none of my business what other people think of me. And you know what? I think our beauty is in our uniqueness. We are all beautifully unique. So the last thing I'll say about that question is shame should have already mastered everything. It's a lie. 
should have already mastered everything. That is not the truth. We don't need to be perfect in anybody else's eyes. So I hope that answered it. And I embrace you and I encourage you to be who you are. Thank you so much. Barbara. You've touched peripherally on your parents. Has your relationship with your parents changed as a result of program, and how did that come about? Well, that's a huge question, too, Barbara. Thank you so much. I think for me, um, my mother has passed. My mother knew I had come into recovery. As a matter of fact, she listened to one of my – I used to listen to um, a noon meeting that was a um, – Hour of Power, it was called. It was a big book meeting. And I remember one time I went to Florida and my mother was laying in the bed and we listened to the meeting together. And my mother was like, oh, my gosh, Sarah, I can't believe how much they're sharing with each other. She said, Sarah, I'm so happy for you. What I realized, and my father's in a nursing home and he's got dementia and he's in Florida. My parents were very conditional people with me. I want to say that again, they were very conditional with me. It was really hard for me because I always wanted their approval no matter what I did. And a lot of what I did wasn't so good. I wanted them to say, we love you, Sarah, just for being you. But guess who gets to do that? Me. And guess who else gets to do that? My higher power. And sometimes one of you does it with me. But I don't get that from my mother and father. I never did. And I accept that. So what can I bring to the table to my family? I can be a loving daughter. I can call my dad, even though my dad is so focused on my brother that he doesn't really acknowledge me very much. That's okay. I don't need it. I don't need validation from others today most of the time. Once in a while, I start to feel like I do. And then I have to go back to myself and my higher power. And some of you know me. You know, some of you I can trust to tell that to. I hope that answers it, Barbara. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Janet. Hi. Thank you for your share. I appreciate it. From the picture that I saw from uh, until now, it seems you have changed a lot. How do you handle the loose skin and the physical effect that it has on you? How do you handle it in your mind? What do you do with it? Thank you. Thank you, Janet. I look at myself in the mirror, totally undressed, and I tell myself that I love every inch of me, that I am beautiful. I'm 63, almost 64, and I exercise, and I do the best I can. Yes, I do have some loose skin, but and I have other things, too. I mean, you know, you start to develop red marks and brown marks and all these things as we get older. It's really, for me, it's like the acceptance chapter in the big book talks about. You know, instead of looking for what I don't have, I look at what I do have. I like my dark brown eyes. I like that I can smile. I am a very kind and compassionate person. I try to look at all the positive things that I have in myself. And, you know, I was a size 24. I'm a size 8, 10 now. Five minutes, Sarah. So I think, you know, I just feel like God has given me so much. I go back to gratitude. And I try, the, and, I, and I 
even if I had the money to change it, my face or my body, no. This is who I am. That doesn't mean I tell anybody else that or to do that. No, it's not my place. But for me, this is who I am. Love it or leave it. And I'm going to love it. So thank you. Thank you. Marina? Thank you, Vincent. Um, hi, Sarah. Wonderful share. I got so much out of it. I have one question to ask you if you could repeat this. Um, early on, you said something like forgiving is letting go of the past for a better life. Is that right? Of the hope for oh. a better past. Forgiving is letting go of the hope Okay. for a better past. Thank you. And uh, by the way, I do want to say I have a, a wonderful marriage, too, that I've been married to my husband, who's also in recovery for um, 19 years. And I've been married four times. So, you know, my life is just – it doesn't mean it's perfect. You know, I have my issues. He has his. But I really appreciate who he is. I look for the good in him. And I like to see others through God's eyes, meet them where they're at. That meet them where I want them to be. Excellent. Uh, Carla. Hi, Sarah. I know we're running out of time, and you addressed it a bit when you described your absence. But what, what do you do with cravings? Do you still have them? You know, the big book talks about neutrality, and for the most part, I really do have that. And I think it's – I really believe it's because I, I don't put anything into my body that is an allergy – for me, you know, the, it, it doesn't create the obsession of the mind, you know, for me, because I'm not putting anything in that is that. So I think that's a piece of it. But the other thing is I try to really go out of my way to be a kind and loving person. And so I don't have too much negative things to look at in myself. I do at times, like I'll realize, oh, my God, I've gossiped a little bit. i got to change that. But instead of beating myself up with that, Carla, what I do is I say, okay, I did it. What can I do different now? How can I make it better? I don't know if that that pretty much says it. Thank you. Uh, Michael. Hey, thank you, Sarah. Um, so you, you touched on your husband and your relationship, and that's what I was going to ask you about, but you already said it. I was just thinking, you've been married four times, so on the fourth time, there must be something you might have learned. How do you bring your higher power into your relationship with your husband? How's that? Into the bedroom and everywhere, Michael. Everywhere. And I try to really take time to uh we we hike a lot together we have some things that we do together he does his meetings i do mine for the most part we do come together for, he's also in this program but i try to really let him be who he is if i feel annoyed or agitated i want to say something about the sacred pause the sacred pause saves my butt because i have a mouth and I can get in people's faces, but I don't, I really try not to do that. I try to pause and think, you know, is, is, the word think, is it thoughtful? Is it honest? Is it intelligent? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if it's not any of those things, I better move out of the way and just say, no, I don't, you know, my, my sponsor used to say, bite your tongue until it bleeds. So. And then if we have time for one more question, uh, Leslie. 
Hi, everybody. Um, uh, thank you so much for the share. My question is just about um, how do you find patients with the process? Um, I can't remember the number of years you said you've been around for a long time um, and have a year of abstinence. Um, I'm very new to program, but I just like, you know, how do you find patients with the process, the changes in the body and mood and the food and everything, just the evolution of that? Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. I think it's really loving yourself through it, really surrounding yourself with a lot of people that you really feel are your tribe, the people that understand you, that love you, let them really know you, be transparent, uh, reach out, find the meetings that really mean the most to you, um, and, you know, find the way to work your program the way it will work for you. You know, we're not clones of each other. We're all so different. So welcome. Welcome home. So glad you're here.